to the Celtics Talk podcast, everyone. I'm Kyle Draper. In this episode, Chris Forsberg goes one-on-one with Romeo Lankford. Plus, the first round of fan voting for the NBA All-Star game has been released. We'll let you know where your favorite Celtics stand. And should we be calling off the search party for a big man? All that and more on this episode of the Celtics Talk podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Celtics Talk Podcast. Kyle Draper joined by A. Sherrod Blakely and Chris Forsberg. Our first podcast, fellas, of 2020. How you feeling? It's going to be our best Wonderful. of 2020. What did so, you say, Forsberg? I said it's our best of 2020. The best of already? Like, yeah. What, are we going downhill we're after this? Just, or? <laughs> the, the best until the next one. It, it just has to be the best, right? <laughs> no doubt about it. So much to get to, guys. Chris, I know you went one-on-one with Romeo Langford. We'll talk about Ennis Cantor's play as of late and a whole lot more. Don't forget Ennis Cantor show also. That's your guy, Ennis Cantor. I'll give you that. I'll let you have Ennis Cantor. <laughs> Romeo is still my guy. But I want to start off with uh, David Stern because, uh, you know, all of us grew up NBA fans. We've all been basketball fans, and we know the legacy that David Stern has left on the NBA. Uh, he died. He passed away at the age of 77. And, you know, everybody has been offering an outpouring of support and emotions about uh, David Stern and money, what he meant for the NBA, uh, Sherrod. I remember just David Stern, like from my earliest memories, being a commissioner, Mm -hmm. and he ushered it in from an era where there was rampant drug use and games were on tape delay and all that to, you know, here we are, a multi-billion dollar industry now. Well, I mean, he he was the ultimate game changer uh, in the NBA and his growth into being just this absolute monster of a professional league. Uh, the way he handled, as you, you mentioned, the, the drug use, but also the way he expanded the game, not only in terms of domestically, but also internationally. Uh, the NBA, frankly, was at, was at the forefront of that. And make no mistake about it, players, he made sure y'all got paid. I mean, Dave, David Stern, I mean, completely changed the game from a financial standpoint, changed the game in terms of attendance at games. It was about 10,000 per arena when he started, 17,000 average by the time he left. So many things you could go down the line. And, and you know, having had a chance to sit down with David uh, when they were in Italy uh, and, and just doing a one-on-one with him, that you, those are the times when you realize just how far the game has come and how much of an imprint he has had on it. When you're sitting there in Italy talking about NBA basketball with the commissioner, uh, who is instrumental in that coming about, uh, it's, it's one of the many memories I have and certainly many NBA fans have about David Stern and his Dra- legacy. Drapes mentioned it. Like, they went from, you know, being a, a, a league on the brink, right? Like, tape-delayed games, half-empty arenas. And, you know, listen, Bird and Magic come in and start that whole – we were talking about it last week being the 40th anniversary, but – you know, David Stern was so instrumental. What I love, too, he was, like, ruthless about wanting to get big markets to be popular teams. You know, he would sit there and, and actually, like, wouldn't, wouldn't hide his displeasure when, like, small market teams won the lottery. We all think he rigged the Ewing lottery so that the, that the Knicks would be back on the map. But he, but he genuinely cared about the league. He genuinely cared about the players. And I think that's what stands out to me. And as a little kid, like, I didn't, I didn't really know if I knew what a commissioner did when I was little, but I knew two commissioners. I knew there was David Stern, and the WWF had Jack Tunney. 
He was this guy. He wasn't even a real commissioner. <laughs> right. But he was just like, he was this figurehead. And I just sort of thought, like, David Stern was the same way. This, like, ruthless leader who was going to make sure, like, the right matchups happened. And I don't know. I just think he's a fascinating individual. He, we wouldn't be here talking about multi-billion dollar team right. without David Stern. Yeah, no doubt about it. So rest in peace, David Stern. All right, guys. Uh, another NBA uh, topic that just came out on uh, Thursday. The first round of All-Star ballots announced the fan voting. Right now in the East, Kemba Walker is the third guard, but he's only 400 and change behind Kyrie. Do you guys expect Kemba to be named an all-star starter? Yes. May have yes. differing opinions on this one, though. Yes. My, I, I agree, Shrod. I think it's a slam dunk. I, 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 think, I think Kemba is going to be first or second. I, I think Trey, Trey Young, who is the leader among guards, a uh, great first ballot, but this is – I think his numbers aren't going to significantly increase over the time because that team sucks. Right. And, he, and, and I, I give Trey Young a lot of credit because when I started looking at, at the All-Star candidates, I really looked at him and Bradley Beal uh, as one of those two guys getting in. And numbers-wise, Trey Young's numbers are as good or better than Bradley, and their teams are about the same. Um, so, but as far as Kim is concerned, I think he will surpass Kyrie uh, and at, at a minimum be second in the balloting. Celtics fans better get out there and rock the vote then, because I'm telling you, like, so let's explain it too, right? Like, the starters, it's fan vote counts for 50%, 50, yeah. 25% is player vote, and 25% is media vote. You have a pretty good idea what the media is going to do, right? Like, they're going to be flocked in on the season, who's having the best years, which teams are in the league, guys like Kemba mm -hmm. are going to get and a little boost off of yeah. that in the guard category. But let's say, Kem let's say Kyrie stays in front of Kemba right now, and the players... They, you just don't know where they're going to go because people really respect Kyrie. Even though he hasn't been out there, I can guarantee you he's going to get a lot of votes. So if Kyrie all of a sudden slides into one of those starters' positions, and heaven forbid Trey Young get the other one, because now the Celtics would have essentially three guys competing for seven reserve spots. And I think Kemba gets on there, but I don't know if Jalen and Jason both muscle their way on. So I think Celtics fans better rock the vote. I'm not trying to like, do this promotional thing for them, but I do think it's important that with how close they are to Kyrie – if you want to see multiple Celtics at the game that, uh, in February, make sure you rock that. And Chris, you are right about the fact that if Kemba doesn't make the starting uh, roster, Sharad, are coaches really going to put three Celtics on the All-Star team? Uh, I think, you know, when you look at the numbers and the success of the team, Jalen and Jason should be on there. But if Kemba's... You know, the coaches have to choose. I don't think they named three Celtics. No, the Celtics aren't having that type of season where coaches will just ignore the fan vote and just say, you know what, these are the three best or three, three of the seven best players not voted in by fans. They'll get two. I, I, I still expect the Celtics to get two. Uh, I think... Kimba, I still think he's going to get it. I, I think the players, the point that you made, Chris, about the, the players, you know, having respect for Kyrie, which is legit, they also have respect for, for Kimba, Kimba Walker. Yeah, and, I, and I think, I think at the end of the day, they're going to be like, you know, I like Kimba. I like Kyrie. Kimba's playing on a really good team. Kyrie's chilling, waiting for KD <laughs> next year. Let's take That's how they should do it, yeah. but. Yeah, but so, I mean, I, I think that vote is going to be a little bit more split than it should, but that to me works for Kimba because all the other factors I think are going to weigh in his favor. What about Jalen and Jason uh, and, and where they stand? Tatum is, what, fifth uh, among mm -hmm. frontcourt players. Jalen, a little more work to do, obviously, uh, among the backcourt players. What do you think about those guys? Do they split votes from the coaches, you know? Do they hurt each other when it comes to uh, making the all-star team? I think the one benefit they have is, say, I'm Indiana. You know, all of a sudden, 
you know, Indiana coaches won't be able to vote for Sabonis and for Brogdon. So now, even though you got seven spots, you're not splitting, you know, you're taking two probably worthy candidates out of the mix. So I do think there'll be some ballots that give them both it. But I do worry that there's going to be a split because now if you're putting, like, again, I go back to it. If Kemba doesn't make Stoddard, which I, I do agree, like, there's a good chance he makes it. But if he doesn't, all of a sudden, you, you know, I'm an Eastern Conference coach. First guy I'm putting on there is Kemba. I mean, and then what happens from there? Right. Am I picking Jalen? Am I picking Jason? And it just gets difficult. I think they've had very similar uh, seasons. I think we, it's almost hard to pull them apart and break them apart other than to look at you know, sort of their base stat lines and say, well, you know, Jalen's been more efficient with his shot, but Tatum has a clear more impact on the on-off numbers. And so I wonder how it'll play out. One of those guys could be snubbed, and not because they don't deserve to be there, but because the balloting sort of limits the spots. And it also comes down to injuries, right? So you know, who does the commissioner choose if, one of the, if someone pulls out closer to February. It's just going to be interesting. Uh, you know, every year when you're looking at those all-star reserves and there's seven guys chosen, there's usually five or six other guys who weren't chosen right. that are just as deserving. And I think Jalen Brown is going to wind up in that boat. I think what will happen is if, if there will be, I think, some type of injury replacement. And if Kimba's not already on the team, he'll be that he'll be that, that, that person. But if Kimba is a starter, which I anticipate him being, and, then, and there has to, they have to make a replacement, I do think Jalen Brown will be the first choice uh, because I think he's going to be so close uh, in the minds of the coaches that it becomes a no-brainer for the commissioner to, to add him. And I don't think anyone will be you know, saying, well, why did he get in and not Bradley Beal? Well, because his team is like 130 games. Right, and right. Bradley Beal's team has played maybe 30 good minutes all year. So yeah, it, it, what do you do though? You're an Eastern Conference coach. You get to Boston. Now you have to decide on your seven spots between Jalen and Jason. And you got six of them chosen. And you can you only pick one. Who are you tipping? No, see why? Because I think they're both there. Like to me, you think Bradley Beal wouldn't be there, or a Trey Young wouldn't Ooh. be there, or something like that. I am going to reward winning. I, I think winning is is crucial. And you know, Trey Young, and maybe he gets there. You know, from the fan vote, and he's named a starter. But and he's putting up great numbers. I understand, but his team is so bad, the worst team in the league. And so I, I just can't put Trey Young in there. And okay, then Brad Beal also. But, but, but for the fun of the exercise, who do you pick? I'm going to go Jalen Brown. Over Tatum. I'm going to go Jalen Brown over Tatum. I'm going to go Jalen Brown. Spice. Because I, I think, you know, Jalen has been consistent, mm -hmm. you know, and I understand the, the, the metrics say, you know, Tatum's having a great defensive mm -hmm. year, but Jalen's been asked to do so much more defensively, guard bigger guys, mm -hmm. guard out of position, that we're not talking about that. And the efficiency numbers, we just say, oh, Jalen's been more efficient. No, he's been wildly more yeah. efficient. It's not even close. And so I'm going to give the nod to Jalen Brown. But like I said before, I think all three players should be on that list because when you look at, let's say, a Philadelphia, or when you look at, let's say, a Brooklyn, okay. you know, like there, Detroit. Does Detroit get a guy? And I know Drummond's putting up some great numbers, yeah, no, but does he? So there are a lot of guys putting up, like Chicago, Zach Levine, good numbers, hometown but they're not right. actually winning. And a hometown guy. So who do, you, who do you go with, Sherrod? Jalen oh, Jason. No question. It's Tatum. No question. It's Tatum. Because well, I give Jalen a lot of credit for how he has expanded his game and has grown his game uh, and has really shown a lot of great work defensively. Tatum has been phenomenal as a help side defender when they're doing switches. Tatum has been able to hold his own, whether it's a one, two, three, four, or five, and to have the kind of attention that he gets offensively has actually been a benefit to Jalen because there's so much more focus put on Kimba and Jalen that Jake. That, no, but you're that, just saying that, Sherrod. Give me some, give me something, that, some well, concrete evidence that that's the truth. I understand Kimba's the number one, and you know they're doubling team and him. 
I'm not seeing a whole bunch of double teams being run at J, uh, Jason Tatum. You don't see blitzing. You don't see him not as much. You don't not see as much as you're making it. You're making it sound you like Jalen's just getting the, the garbage, the scraps left over. You, you, there's and a then, reason, you know, there's teams a are leaving why, him wide open. There's in the a reason why Jason Tatum is having a career year and not only scoring but also assists because your boy Jalen Brown is making the most. And I give Jalen props because look, it's one thing to get opportunities to make shots; it's another one to make it. And I give him credit; he's doing that and he's doing it well. But. So much of what happens for him from an offensive standpoint is predicated on the attention. But you can say that about any number two or number three person. You know, Chris Bosh made the all-star team because LeBron and D-Wade were. He kind of made it before in Toronto, but that's another story. Your guy, Chris Middleton. So much attention is being paid to Giannis. I mean, that just happens when you have three or four guys doing what the Celtics are doing. But you're talking about one guy on a team where there's only two players who can ball. In Middleton, okay? How about and Bosch was an all-star before he How hooked up with this? LeBron. So you, How come all three guys can't make the all-star team? That's what I'm saying. Why? Why? Because be- That's not <laughs> our argument. <laughs> One, it's not our argument. And two, it just doesn't happen when your team isn't the best team in your They're right there. Conference. They're the third best team in so, the entire that's not, league. Right, well, let me let, see. Let, let, let me see. Does Milwaukee the, get three? No. Because no, no. they don't have three guys. You could them. argue they only deserve one. Sure. In, in terms of the, the production this you year, can. you but know, statistically, but they'll probably get two. Right, because they have the best record, and that's kind of how that stuff works. If you have the best record, you typically get one more player than you probably should because you have the best record. I think the difficulty here, and I think I told you guys this on post-up last week, was that when we watch the Celtics team, you almost want to reward Jalen Brown for the strides he's made, yeah. right? Like, his game has gone from a level that we probably didn't think he was capable of getting to and, and gone even further. Whereas Tatum, he's been inefficient, and so even though the numbers have been great, we sort of sit there and say, well, he can do more. And so I, I completely get the, the, the notion that, like, that Jalen is the one we should reward because he's put in the effort, and that's not to say that Tatum hasn't. It's just it's clear that he, he works so hard to make himself better in so many different ways. But for me, it comes down to, like, I had to sort of tear away everything and say, okay, how are they performing when, say, when Kemba's not on the floor? And so Tatum's numbers are just incredible because right now, when he's on the floor with Kemba and Brown, he's got a plus 11.8 rating. With no Kemba, it goes up to plus 15.4. When it's no Kemba and no Jalen, it jumps again to plus 16.8. Look, that's, an, that's just an absurd number for a guy. Now, again, some of that's because he's playing with a lot of bench units. But if you do the same for, uh, for Jalen... When he doesn't have Kemba and Tatum out there, he's a minus 3.1. And so what that tells me is that Tatum is the sort of player right now who you can say, you're our focal point, go out there and run the second unit, be our, be our guy, and they're putting up what are essentially elite numbers. Whereas with Jalen, when he doesn't have the other guys out there, he hasn't been able to sustain it. That doesn't, shouldn't take away anything from what he's done. It's just my tiebreaker in trying to decide between two very difficult choices. So in other words... Jalen benefits when he's on the floor with those other two guys. <laughs> I'm not going to argue this, dude, Which, because this was only supposed to be four minutes. You guys have hijacked the podcast here. Says the you point know, guard. You, you Says guys, the point guard who's running the show. No, but we're but the the okay. problem is, and, and we've been doing this ever since Jason Tatum has come into the league, we're comparing these two guys. And it's yeah. like it has to be one or the other. I, like I said, all three should be on the They all-star are all team. deserving, but like I said, when you're looking at the 12-man all-star roster, there's usually seven or eight guys who don't make that roster who are deserving. What if Gordon Hayward has a really good January? 
I just, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, yeah, if if the does. scoring wise, I don't think he'll have enough to sort of push him over the edge. But I think you could make a case early in the year that he was there, probably right, the second right. best player. You could early right? on when so. they had the best record in the league. I mean, you, there was a legitimate conversation about them getting four. And where are they going to get a fourth All Star so that Ennis Cantor can get on there? You want to talk about Ennis? No, we'll talk about Ennis in a minute, man. First, I'm trying to plug your interview with oh, Romeo yes, Langford. Can go I do it. that? No, exactly. go, that's fine. We got a one-on-one with Chris Forsberg and Romeo Langford. But first, a word from our sponsor. At All right, here with Celtics rookie Romeo Langford. First off, we saw some pictures of you guys out on New Year's Eve. Who set that up? How'd that all come together? Uh, Kimba, uh, Kimba set it up. It was his idea, his party. We just wanted all of us to have, uh, be able to go into New Year on a good note together and uh, help us out with team bonding. What's that been like? Because especially for rookies coming in, I think it's got to be, you know, sometimes you have to earn your stripes or whatever. How nice has it been for them to all embrace what seems like embrace all of you guys? Uh, it's been real nice. Um, it makes the transition into the NBA a lot more easier when we have a nice supporting cast and guys that come that welcome me with open arms um, from the jump. So it's been real easy and making the transition a lot, a lot more. Can you feel that? Can you feel the chemistry with this group? I mean, I know you weren't here last year and all that, but so much was made about chemistry last year, now this year. Can you feel the good vibes with these guys, and how much can that help you on the court? Yeah, I feel I feel the good vibes, definitely. Um, I feel like from top to bottom, everybody gels and works together well. Like, it's just, it's just not like you can, like, only go talk to one person on the team, like one other vet, but like you can go talk to anybody you want on the team to help you out with something and that translate on the court because we all trust each other and all have great chemistry. So I was reading that you don't have your license yet? No, no. How's that going? Because you said maybe by January you were gonna you were, you were thinking about it? Yeah, hopefully hopefully this month will be the, the big big month for me to get my license. <laughs> so what's the issue? You just never got it in high school? You, I thought I saw something about parallel parking mm -hmm. is the difficulty. Um, I mean, I never got it in high school. I just had my permit. Yeah. Uh, I never felt like I needed it. But it's, I'm starting to feel the need of it now, now that I'm here in Boston. But I don't know how to parallel park, and that's one of the big things when it comes to. They've got those cars now that'll do it for you. Like, you know, you just pull up next to it, line the mirrors. Like, you don't even have to put in any work. Like, you can't, you're just going to spend some of that rookie money on, on the right vehicle. I don't think you can uh, use one of those cars <laughs> yeah. for the test. Yeah, that's probably true. That is, that is probably true. Who have you been leaning on most for rides? Um. Really, Carson, when he, Carson and uh, Shimmy and uh, who's it, Javon, Javante. Right. He lives in the same building as me, so I ride with Javante a lot. All right. Well, at least you got some good friends. Like, do you feel like you're? Are they cool with it? Are they like they say? Are they are they telling you they're cool with it? But like, you know, how do they feel about it? Nah, they're cool with it. <laughs> but I know sometimes, sometimes they don't feel like it. I can tell. <laughs> but they, but they, they still give me a ride. So take me back to obviously the start of your pro career, you, you, this rash of injuries. How did you avoid not getting frustrated as you're going through that and knowing that, you know, eventually your time would would come? Um, really just the people that I surround myself by, and um, also the Joe Joe Mazzula when I first got here, he helped me a lot, helped me out a lot with that. Um, just helped me stay positive and see the bigger picture. It means a long. It's a long season, yet a long, yeah, yet just a long, long career. So um, it's just one little mindset back, and everything's gonna play out itself. And uh, as you can like see, um, I didn't play for like a long time. Really didn't know if I was gonna like play that much. Um, this should be honest, but then next thing you know, it coach threw me in there to, uh, to play some minutes, some big, big minutes, and some big games. And you just gotta always know, uh, be ready. Be, be, you never know when times will be called. How rewarding has it been to be able to get out there now and get a couple extended runs and be able to show what you can do on both ends? Because I don't know if we necessarily knew your abilities on the defensive end and how, how nice it be able to show that as well. Uh, that's real nice. Um, I mean, that's one thing I work on a lot uh, with, along with my, like, my shooting and stuff. 
But um, I've always been a capable defender. I mean, like in high school and like, I mean, it's middle school, but yeah. AAU days, like I was like the lock, the guy that always guarded the best player. Um, and I felt like I was always capable of doing that. So now I'm able to show that and showcase that here. And that's what one thing Brad of our values is a defensive end. And it's good, that, it's good that I'm able to show that. Well, I think that's one of the things, like, you see that you scored 3,000 points in high school. And, I mean, that number is jarring because, like, I mean, around here, like, it feels like 2,000 is, like, the, the, the benchmark. You know, people don't necessarily see that that other side of the ball. You, I guess you're fourth all-time in Indiana in, score, in scoring at, at 3,006 points or 3,008 points. Um, do you know the three people in front of you? No, I only know one. That's Damon Bailey. Yeah. He's number one. All-time leader, right? Yeah. 3,134. Yeah, something like that, yeah. How, what does it feel to be that high up on that list? Uh, I mean, it's a good accomplishment. I mean, it was never one. Once was my goal to be, like, the leading scorer in any history. But um, it's, be, it's good to say that I'm top five scoring. I mean, that's one thing I, I was known for and did, did well at. Who's the bigger celebrity in Indiana, you or Brad or Gordon? Uh, me. I don't know. Like people tell me, like there was people waiting outside your games for autographs. I heard something about a hundred dollars scalping tickets outside games. Yeah, yeah. Me and um, Gordon, I, I mess with Gordon all the time, telling him that <laughs> I'm the I'm the one the guy from Indiana. Nobody really cares that he he's from Indiana because he went to Butler. But yeah, I like to joke with Gordon about that all the time. Romeo Langford, thank you so much for for your time. Thank you. Chris, good interview with my guy, my guy, <laughs> Romeo Lane. I tried to hijack him. I, tried, I was like, my guy now? No. <laughs> nah. Most interesting thing I thought he said, and we kind of knew this, but the Celtics all flew back from Charlotte the other night. You oh, were down yeah, there, right? Yeah. And they all go out for New Year's Eve. Uh, and I, so I said, like, you know, who set that up? And he said, well, it was Kemba. Kemba had decided to throw a little party, wanted everybody to go out on a good note. And I just, I mean, listen, I know we're endlessly, we're stuck in this thing where we're like, well, the last guy didn't do that. But ultimately, <laughs> it's hard not to sit there and say, these guys really like each other and that they're, you know, they're all making an effort to get together on a night where they could all scramble and see their families. And now some guys did. That's just part of the, uh, right. of it. it's hard to get 17 guys in one spot, but to see Taco and Vincent and, you know, Romeo and the rookies and everybody's out there. I just think it really bodes well because I think they're really committed to each other. And I think they're really trying to make this work. Uh, it certainly helps when you're winning, but you know, January, uh, daunting January yeah. lies ahead. Yeah, we're going to talk about January in a minute. Now let's get to your guy, Ennis Cantor. <laughs> uh, you know, six blocks against Charlotte, a career high. And he joked, uh, what did he say? He's the stop he sign, said, baby. Stop sign, yeah. Corey <laughs> called her the stop sign. He tells the team. Uh, has Cantor solidified, him and Ty solidified the big man position, and now we don't need to go out there and make a trade or get a signing of a big man? Drapes. <laughs> that, that must mean no. The search party continues. No, seriously? You don't listen. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Right now, they're playing great basketball. Mm -hmm. They're giving you everything you want and then some. And that makes you feel comfortable. But here's the thing. Danny Ainge has learned a long time ago, you need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And right now, th things are going a little too smooth. That doesn't mean you go out and make a deal, but you don't, uh, you don't call off the keeping your eyes open and ears peeled for potential deals. I don't think they're going to go out and, and get a deal done, but it won't be because Danny Ainge decided to just put, put away the lights and cameras and packing gear and, and just call right, it a day, right. I'm good. No, it'll be because there wasn't a deal that would upgrade this roster without them having to give away more assets than they're willing to. Um, I like what those guys are doing, but by no means should the Celtics all of a sudden just call it a wrap and just say we're good. 
Yeah, and like not to rehash what we've already said, but it's just so hard to find a trade that makes sense for yeah. the Celtics. And like, unless you're willing to give up one of your top five guys, like, are you going to move Marcus Smart to marginally upgrade from what you're getting right now from Tyson Cantor? I just don't see it. But what I do think it does is it lets Danny Ainge focus a little bit more now on, all right, maybe there's a four who can stretch the court and shoot the three ball that maybe can help our bench. You know, you're not as as locked in as you might have been. Like, if this if these bigs were struggling, if Cantor was getting eaten up every night like he did in that Toronto game then I think maybe you're like, oh, man, they really need to find something. Maybe they can't wait for the buyout market. to. to maybe you do have to swallow hard on Marcus Smart's contract to find that big. I think now you can safely say, okay, you know what? They're doing enough. Like, Tyson's been really steady. Cantor is giving you a double-double off the bench right now. Uh, you know, listen, he's not going to block six shots every night. You're going to have nights where you're slapping your head and saying, why can't this guy move his feet in the pick and roll? And yet I, I trust that they're trying. You can't have five superstars on the court at all times. Right. Uh, I just think if I'm Danny Ainge, my focus as I go into this trade period isn't necessarily on finding a big man now. I'm kind of content. Like if something bubbles up, kick the tires on it. But I'm more looking around saying, can I find a four who's maybe a little bit more, got more experience than Grant Williams right now? Someone who can knock down threes consistently, right. give us a little extra size off the bench, you know, and maybe determining if that's more worthwhile. Yeah, I, I could actually see maybe upgrading the backcourt depth a little, you know. Uh, you know, you got Brad Wanamaker, you know, but they're relying on a lot of young guys. And so when it comes playoff time, are you going to be relying on, you know, Grant, like you said, out there, but also a Brad Wanamaker, Carson Edwards, does he, you know. And so, you know, I, I think they could use a little more backcourt scoring off the bench. Uh, personally. But with that being said, they're the second best team in the Eastern Conference. Mm -hmm. And Sherrod, do you feel like that's where they are? They are the second best? Or is there another team that, you know, Philly, when yeah. it's all said and done, will be right there? You know, Indiana, when Oladipo gets healthy, stack up the East for them. I mean, I, I worry about Miami and Indiana. Uh, I worry about Miami because they have the potential to go out and add a piece between now and the trade deadline that can take them from being, you know, kind of back and forth with Boston right. for that number two spot to being a solidified number two. Uh, Indiana, because they're going to get, you know, the biggest addition of, you know, the offseason right. when Victor Oladipo comes back on a team that already has really solidified themselves as top three, top four. Uh, so those are the two teams that worry about. Toronto, I just think they're so gritty and grimy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They just find a way to contend. Uh, your boys in Philly... Uh, on paper, I, I still like them, right. but when I hear the new guys like Josh Richardson talking about how there's a lack of accountability in a locker room, and our good friend Al Horford, who never complained, never complained, is now talking about, I'm not really sure what my role is, and I'm still learning and adjusting, and then you see them losing games, and then you see your boy Ben Simmons, who really has not progressed the way I think a lot of people thought he would at this point in his career. They are looking kind of like a hot mess right now. With, you know, my boy Jimmy Butler looking like, see, I tried to tell you it wasn't me. Chris, it set him straight. I'm not even going to get into the Philly argument because yeah. uh, we've had this a billion times. That's your how team. you play on January 1, 2nd, 3rd, whatever, is not the same as how you're going to be Drinks. playing in April. How We're many times about have you playing. poured dirt on the Sixers or Toronto or whoever it is in the past? Miami, when they were 8-9 and nine to start the season back in the day with LeBron. Dude, talk to me, and if, if it's March and the Sixers are still struggling, I'm on board We've with gone you. through this the last couple of years, Drapes. They have issues that go outside of the game. We pretend that, well, you know, from the playoff signs, they'll be okay. Dude, they came a bounce away from beating the Raptors. So let's, let's not get it twisted. They took Raptors to Game 7, and it took Kawhi Leonard, you know, one of the greatest shots in NBA history, to beat the Sixers. So we're going to dwell on the fact that the Celtics were like a quarter away from getting to the NBA Finals? Four minutes. Four we minutes? did. We did. 
And, and what did that do? <laughs> Nothing. What did that do? Nothing. We did. Not, not a noon All right, go ahead, Chris. I would love to disagree with Trace, but I actually kind of agree. I do think the Celtics fans, if you My want God. to get in your, your shot and fraud, do it right now. You know, make all the comparisons you want to last year's Celtics team and sort of like, is it the right mix? And, you know, is it just going to combust? Because I think the one difference for Philly is like if, if, if they reach their breaking point, they can fire their coach. Like, the Celtics were never going to fire Brad Stevens amongst the, the tumultuous next, last year, or, you know, they never made the move. But you feel like Philly won't do that. Philly will either change the coach, make an in-season move, and I don't know how big of a move that will be, but there's moves to be made. They've got tradable contracts. And so they'll be able to shuffle the deck a little bit. But if that talent ever clicks, like, be afraid. And I, I think from a Celtics fan perspective, too, like, what if they're the four seed or the five seed, you know, all of a sudden, you might slide down into that four range, if depending on how you navigate the rest of the schedule. You have to like, see that's, them that's earlier than, yeah. Right? Like, I, I just think, you know, in, again, Philly's going to be there in the end. Enjoy their struggles right now. But, I mean, if we're power ranking the East right now, yeah. certainly I, I, I would say, say the Celtics are a pretty firm number two. They've shown it. Like, I'd like to see it against the top competition. I think they're 15-1 and one against sub-500. Five, right. Like, i got to see it against the better teams. Um, you know, Miami, Miami, three? Miami, if they make the move... You know, like there's a move waiting to happen there, and whether people want to say Chris Paul or something else, but if they get another legitimate NBA Ooh, they player, they're really, really good. And so I, I would love to see that. I mean, Bam has gone to another level. Jimmy mm-hmm. obviously gives them the closer. Um, you know, if they move Olenek, shout out to our guy, but, you know, if they right. find a way to add another impact talent, they could be really good. In the end, I don't know. I just got to see what happens with Oladipo. Can he come back and be as much of an impact player already? But clearly, Brogdon has made them better. Um, but yeah, it's just going to be really muddy. I think none of those teams are going to get a lot of separation. I think it's going to be the Bucks and then everybody else, yeah. and you know, then the playoffs are going to be a war. And to your point, Chris, I mean, matchups are going to be critical. Uh, you have to get the right team uh, that you're playing. Like for example, if let's say the Celtics wind up playing Philly, that's going to be a dogfight. Yeah. No question. Yeah. I would much rather see them play somebody like Brooklyn. Uh, right. a team that they yeah, can, that's you know, the and then I, yeah. I think about that four or five matchup. I, I just can't help but feel that if things keep going the way they are, it's going to be Indiana and Philly in that four or five game. And if that's the game, all bets are off. But you that, know what that means? That means Joel Embiid is going to have to be dealing with the, the you know, yeah, but you know, bonus and Miles Turner. But we're talking about teams the Celtics should be afraid of. Philly's a tough matchup. Milwaukee's great. But don't sleep on Toronto either. Right. If I'm the Celtics, I don't want to see Toronto yeah. in that first round. Not in that first Especially round. Especially now with the pedigree. Like now they know what it's like. Six or something right. like that. I don't want to see that. That two spot is, is really that's that's, that's, where you that's the number be. one. Yeah. That's the new number one. It's number two. All right, 16 games in January, guys. Uh, any concern about that? I, I guess the first week and a half of January mm-hmm. or so, you got some cupcakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it the started to, you know, then you got the Sixers in Milwaukee, you know, a trip to Miami later in the month. What do you think about January? I think the hard part is just the, those tough games, the Philly, the Milwaukee, or second nights of back-to-backs, yeah. where you have to go on the road the night after playing at home and try to figure out a way to win those games. And I just think, you know, you never say schedule loss, but we just saw back-to-back where the Celtics yeah, struggled on a Saturday back, night against Toronto road, yeah. and at home. So now you're adding the, the, the measure of going on the road, and those teams are going to be up for those games. I think it's going to be hard to tell exactly where they stand against those teams based on the, the situation. And yet there is a chance to make some hay here because, you know, again, they've feasted on sub-500 teams. If they continue to do that this month, you know, they'll still come out with a good record. And so, you know, the, the games later in the month, the Miami trip there, like, is Zion back for the New Orleans yeah. game? Then they go to Miami. Like, that'll tell us a little bit more about where they are, and I think they'll be excited to get to the finish line. But let's face it, there really is no finish line until the All-Star break because every other day at least – 
until that point, 22 games in 42 days or something oh, like that. Yeah, it's yeah. it's going to be brutal. It, it is, and it, it really is going to put a bigger and brighter spotlight on those backups. The Brad Wanamakers, Romeo Langford, Carson Edwards, Grant Williams, those guys are going to have to shine at some point in the month of January if the Celtics are going to successfully navigate this. Because you can't expect Kemba and Jalen and Jason and Gordon to give you 20 points every single night. There are right, going to be nights right. where those guys are they're just not going to have it. They're going to need others to step up, get it done, yep. and the opportunity is going to be there. And I think you know one of the things that Brad Stevens has done up to this point, you know, there was a stretch where we saw Romeo Langford checking into the game in the first quarter. quarter. That's going to be, I think that'll pay huge dividends, not only for him, but also for the Celtics down the road, because when he steps in the game, He's not going to be in awe of the moment. He's so you going think to, he might be part of the rotation? I you think, know, I think in the, the month season? of January, I okay. could see him being part of the rotation because they're going to have to go deeper than I think they normally right. would. Uh, but they're going, to, they're going to have a lot of guys that are going to get opportunities to play. And, and to the Celtics' credit, they've kind of baby-fed those guys up to this point, really getting them to the point mm-hmm. where they can step on the floor in January and be positive contributors. Wait till you see first quarter taco. I'm guaranteeing that one think of these games in January, I, I do think that's going to happen. Gal had brought this up in the preseason. Right. I didn't really Scalvin give it much thought. It, yeah. But now after watching how the building explodes with energy when Taco is out there, I think Brad's on board with the idea of like, all right, you're going through the doldrums of January. You're, you're against a sub-500 opponent. Your guys don't come out and they're flat. You throw Taco in there, building's going wild, the bench is going wild. If nothing else, it gives you a jolt. It's going to wake you up. It's got a guy who's going to want to play to be out there. I think those are the instances where I can see him leaning more on, you know, Javante on a random night mm-hmm. or Taco or Romeo. Like, those guys are going to have opportunities to step forward. And the crazy part about Taco is that energy you talk about is at the TD Garden and on, and the, on road. the road. Right? You, don't even have, you don't even have to limit it to <laughs> right. just home games. I mean, that, that's one of the benefits of having a guy like Taco. Mm-hmm. I, I will never forget, as long as I live, being in Madison Square Garden and then rooting for a Boston Celtic to get in the game. Right. That, that never happened, happen. right? In New York like that? Yeah. No. All right, quickly, guys, my guy of the week. I'm going to start off Ooh. my guy, Jalen Brown. Eastern Conference Player of the that Week. I mean, that was a way to think I saw the ball. Hey, <laughs> found out in the, in the hospital that he was named that. Great yeah. honor for him. And he was at the Massachusetts State House mm-hmm. New Year's Day. Yeah. I mean, this dude is excelling on and off the floor. Shout out to Jalen Brown. Okay, that's, that's, that's a pretty. That's a good. You can't argue with that, right? You well, can't argue well, with that. Well, we're here. I'm going with my guy, Ennis Cantor, because, again, I know we uh, talked about him earlier. But anytime Ennis Cantor has six blocks in a week, That's it's like the a third time this certainty. season you said Ennis Cantor is uh, <laughs> your my guy of the week. Hasn't he? Like, what were you, my expectations for Ennis Cantor coming into the season were like, we all scoff when Danny Satterin said, oh, he's plan A with Kemba. Yeah. I'm like, all right, he might start, but I don't know what he's <laughs> going to do. He's going to get probably worked off the floor at times because of his defense. You know, even after practice the other day, we're sitting there and he's like working on pick and roll defense. He's actually trying to be a better player, and I think he gets it. Not that he maybe didn't before, but sometimes when you're young and you just like go out there and you can put up a double double, you're like, oh, I'm a good player. Look at these double doubles. I made 92 million dollars for my career. <laughs> Here, like Brad won't let that happen. You want to play, and I know they're thin on bodies. They need him to play to a high level. He's just giving that bench a different dynamic. Highest net rating on the team. My guy is Kimball Walker. All he does is give you opportunities to win, whether it's scoring, whether it's assists, whether it's having an impromptu New Year's Eve party. Kimball Walker has been that... He's been that steady Eddie that this team needs. He's been the guy that they can rely on night in, night out, who's never going to waver. You don't have to worry about his temperament or anything like that. He's just steady as they come. And then he went back to Charlotte. And remember, 
There, there, is no, there is nothing sweeter than going back to, to a place that didn't want to take care of you right. and handle your business. And last I checked, Kimber Walker is undefeated. Against the against Hornets. Against the Hornets, dude. It may Nothing be like, but like, W's against it, it his old team. It may be like Babe Ruth, uh, the curse of uh, Babe Ruth trading, you know, away yeah. Babe Ruth. Like, the Hornets may never be good again, and Kimba oh, may be undefeated. Poor Terry still waiting for his revenge game. I know. Hey, he got paid, though. He got paid. Yeah. He know? got paid, uh, but, man. pretty good. But, yeah. uh, well, I mean, Devontae uh, Graham, Devontae you know, Graham he's is been the guy better. Yeah. Intriguing backcourt. All right, let's get out of here. I got things to do. Thanks, fellas, for uh, joining us on the Celtics Talk podcast. Always about drapes. I know, right? Hey, you know me. Time is money. I got things to do, big fella. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the Celtics Talk podcast on all your favorite apps. Make sure you like it as well. Leave a review. For Aisha Rob Blakely and Chris Forsberg, we'll see you next time on the Celtics Talk podcast.